Feel free to turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Verses 40 through 50. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. And Lord, we just ask you in this moment to open our eyes and to open our ears, for we want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to reach out and touch you tonight, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you know that we have a little four-year-old granddaughter. I heard a story the other day that made me think of her, and I can just see her doing this. The head of a large company needed to call one of his employees about an urgent computer need. So he dialed the, the employee's home telephone number and was greeted with a child's whispered, Hello? Is your daddy home, he asked. Yes whispered the small child. May I talk with him? The child whispered, no. Surprised and wanting to talk with an adult, he asked, is your mommy there? Yes. May I talk with her? Again, the small voice whispered, no. Really wanting to leave a message, he asked, is anybody else there? Yes, there's a policeman here. Wondering what a cop would be doing at his employee's home, he asked, may I speak with the policeman? No, he's busy. Busy doing what? He's talking to mommy and daddy and the fireman, came the whispered response. Growing concerned and even worried as he heard what sounded like a helicopter in the background, he asked, what is that noise? A helicopter. Now pretty alarmed, he said, what is going on there? In awed whisper, the child answered, the search team just landed the helicopter. Getting very worried and more than a little frustrated with this child, what are they searching for, he asked. Still whispering, the young voice replied with a muffled giggle, they're looking for me. <laughs> I could just see my little granddaughter doing this to her parents, and that sounds kind of fun to me, actually. <laughs> This seems pretty humorous in this context, but can you imagine several highly trained professionals and 
a loving but somewhat distraught mother and father frantically looking for what is practically right in front of their faces? She couldn't have been hiding very well. She answered the phone when it rang. What is not so funny is how often this happens in our daily lives. How many times are we swept away by the chaos and the distractions to the point that we fail to see what is right in front of our faces? Not unlike some of the people in our text tonight, we are often so distracted by the crowd of people and things that define our daily lives that we can barely see Christ. Demands from our bosses, our professors, our families, and our dreams of future ministry have clouded our vision to the miracles of the moment, to the fact that Jesus is alive and active in our daily lives. In this text, we're invited to experience the full reality of the very presence of Christ among us. If we look at verses 40 through 42, we see that the reality of Jesus' presence in our lives is more than we can ever expect or hope for. I think Jarius must have been so frustrated, don't you? Probably even angry. He had left his only child at the point of death to come to this, this healer. Yet to Jarius, it must have felt like Christ was just loitering in the crowd. He approached the healer as his last hope for the child that he loved so much. Every moment that Christ wasn't moving toward that child must have felt like an eternity. I would imagine that he used great restraint, not to just grab Jesus by the arm and drag him to his daughter's bedside. That's probably what I would have done. It brings to mind a similar story for me. A teenage boy was riding his four-wheeler with his friends one day, and even though he was a pretty experienced rider, he hit a small terrace and flipped the ATV. He flew off, and it came down on top of him. His friends ran for help, and he was rushed to a small rural hospital. Three hours later, that hospital realized that his injuries were much more serious than they had first expected, and they immediately sent him by life flight to a major metropolitan trauma unit. His parents were then called, but by the time they had reached him by car, he was unconscious. When the trauma specialist finally came to the waiting room to meet the family, their prognosis was not good, but they were going to do all that they could to save his life. That young man, Joshua, was our oldest son. And I was nearly hysterical with fear and grief, desperately pleading with God on his behalf and questioning what God was doing. My husband had to literally shake me, take me by the shoulders and shake me to comprehension and to faith. You see, our son was traveling a bad road of drugs and alcohol, and we had been praying for months that God would just get a hold of him. We had surrendered him to the Lord, giving God full permission to do whatever it took to bring Josh back to himself. But at that moment, I could not see Christ in the midst of the turmoil around me. After many hours of surgery and a long night of waiting, the doctors repaired his remaining internal organs. We spent six more months in that trauma unit as the doctors repaired everything that was wrong with him. But that incident was a miracle. It was the beginning of Joshua's walk back to the Lord. Like Jarius, I experienced agonizing, painful moments of fear that my child would die before the master had a chance to touch him. What I failed to recognize, like Jarius' servant in verse 49, and perhaps even Jarius himself, 
is that Christ has the power for the miracles we ask for and even beyond what we can ask for. And what appears to us as the circumstances of our life, they do not change that. They do not limit that. The circumstances do not stop the power of Christ in our lives. Yes, Christ could heal Jairus' daughter, but he also had the power to raise her from the dead. The burden of fear and grief that may have distracted Jairus like it did me from seeing the true miracle worker standing before him, Jesus had enough power for the young girl and for the woman that he met on the way. His attention to the one does not hinder his love or his power to heal the other. What about your life tonight? Are you missing the power of Christ in your life by your own perception of your need? Can you see the true miracle worker present in your life and rejoice in his provision for the moment, even if it doesn't appear to you to be your most urgent need in that moment? We see in verses 43 through 48 that Jesus knows the status of our every need. He knows. Here we see a miracle within a miracle. There are several possible reasons for Luke to record it in such a way. Some think that it was just a borrowed technique from Mark, a literary technique. Or perhaps he recorded it in this way to allow time for the young girl to die, so as to build anticipation for the resurrection miracle that would follow. That's an interesting idea, but it creates an interesting tension for Jesus and those who were with him also. Suddenly the urgency of the immediate need to reach the child in time seems set aside, almost forgotten, as he deals with this need, this enduring need of the woman in front of him. Sometimes we fail to see the miracle in front of us because we are caught up in the urgency of something that seems almost beyond the power of Christ. Yet the chaos of the situation does not affect Christ, nor does it inhabit, inhibit his understanding of the real need of the moment. Our crisis does not become his crisis. Christ knows our every need and has the power to provide for them, and even death cannot stop that. What about this woman? You know, it may seem easy for us to to criticize, to point out the, the imperfections and the, the ignorance in her faith. She believes she will be healed if she can just get close enough to touch his garments. Yet, yes, her faith is imperfect. imperfect. It's incomplete. It's almost, in, uh, almost superstitious and a little naive. But with all of that, with all of that comes a hunger comes a complete and total belief that if she can just get close enough to touch his garment, that she would be made well. Her faith was imperfect, but it was faith. Although her understanding of her need is limited, it is a valid, urgent need. And in desperation, she pursues her last hope, her last hope to meet that need. We all know that according to the law, she was declared unclean and classified as a social outcast. Actually, she crossed some strict ritual and religious barriers just to be in the crowd that day. And by doing that, approaching Christ was almost dangerous for her. 
Unfortunately, every society has those societal, social, uh, medical, religious barriers, such as the ones that she faced. Our society today is no different, is it? And sadly, similar barriers exist even right here at our Bible college. Like her, some of you have overcome great fear and many obstacles just to be here at NBC preparing for ministry. Those things don't disappear just because you're here. If anything, your struggles seem to become even greater, don't they? So the questions become for us. Will we reach out in what is sometimes our imperfect faith to touch the perfect one among us? Will we push through or even push aside the crowd of our lives, the papers, the grades, the obligations and the expectations, the perceptions and the presuppositions, the concerns about ministry placement? Will we push all of that aside to reach out and have an encounter with the living Christ? When was the last time that you crept in desperation to Christ, knowing, knowing that he could make you whole? When was the last time you were in perfect faith, overrode everything else, and allowed, and you allowed his power to provide for your immediate and your enduring needs? Christ knows our needs. He knows them intimately. He knows them even more than we know them. We must trust him with our deepest, most urgent needs and believe that he will do his best for us in any given moment. He'll do what's best for us. We see in verses 45, through 40, 45 and 46 that the living Christ is present with us in every moment of our journey. Interestingly, if you read ahead to the beginning of the very next chapter, chapter 9, you see that the apostles, who had been in training, so to speak, in preparation with Jesus for the duration of this ministry, now actually become apostles. Christ gives them authority and power, and he sends them out to preach the gospel and to do miracles in his name. But before they go, there is work for today. There's a miracle. There are miracles in this moment, right here in our text in chapter 8. In verse 45, when Christ asked, who touched me? It is similar to when he asked Adam in the garden where he was. Of course, Christ knew who had touched him, just as he knew where Adam was. His heart detected the touch of faith, the touch that was different from the curious, the elbowing, the pushing touch of the crowd. He knew who had touched him. Clearly, he asked that question for many reasons. He asked in order to bring her into a personal encounter with him, into a personal relationship with him that went beyond any physical need that she had. He asked her so that he could perfect her faith in a powerful, loving God rather than encourage what could be a superstitious approach to a magical healing. He asked her so that he could publicly restore her in a society that would continue to shun her, that would never believe her self-proclamations of healing. He knew her every need, and he cared about her every need, needs that she didn't even know she had. But I can't help wonder if there wasn't something in his question in the story in general for the apostles, and therefore for us also. It's obvious by their disbelief that he even asked the question that they still had so much to learn about Jesus, about the person, 
The gospel narratives such as this one are where we learn from Christ's teaching and instructions to the apostles. What were they supposed to learn from this encounter? What can we learn from it tonight? I wonder if his question pulled them from the haze of distraction of the miracle and ministry they were headed to at Jairus' house and brought them to what was right before their eyes. Could Christ have been whispering, Hello, it's me. I'm not hiding. I am right here with you. You're walking with me, but do you see me? Do you know who I am? Do you truly believe in me? Do you have faith in my ability to meet your need? I believe a clear vision of the miracle worker and his miracles for today prepare us for the miracles of tomorrow. The ones we're headed to down the road after graduation and after our time at NBC. Allow me to illustrate this with a personal story. I had been counting the days till graduation. Everybody knew that. <laughs> I had been counting the days from the beginning of the school term. Let's be honest. There are times that the NBC experience seems like a wilderness experience. Am I right? <laughs> and I was excited about the possibility that the end was in sight. I was not going to be a part of the generation that died in the desert. <laughs> I was so excited. The prospect of the promised land of full-time ministry had my heart jumping. I had a chart at my desk, and every day I would cross the days off displaying how many days were left before graduation. The sad part was, and my boss is saying, yes, we have a countdown. <laughs> the sad part was that I would cross the day off in the morning when the day started. And, and count that as lost already. That day was over. I got up that morning. That day was over. <sighs> There's still some things to learn as a senior, folks. <laughs> One day, in the midst of my usual busy routine, I was compelled to approach a woman um, to investigate a small tree that was sitting on her desk that appeared to have marshmallows growing on it. <laughs> Apparently all my studying had taken its toll on my eyeglasses and my eyes. <laughs> so uh, in my daily routine, I walk by the hallway in front of her desk every day, but I never really stopped to talk to her, and we had really only spoken in passing. I went over and we began talking about schooling and my future plans. When she discovered I had recently completed the Christian counseling program and was preparing for the pastorate, the casual conversation took a more serious turn. Some pretty painful things had just happened in her family, and, and all of them were struggling to, to understand how to deal with them. Just that morning, her brother had asked her if she knew anyone at our place of employment with a counseling background that might be able to, to add some insight and advice. She had prayed that morning that God would lead her to someone. And on what appeared to be a strange marshmallow coincidence, there I stood. We shut ourselves away in a private little conference room for a while, and it turned out that the issues that they had, deal, had been dealing with were very personal and real issues in my life. And God had worked in amazing ways to bring understanding and healing and restoration to me. The Holy Spirit fell on that room and just covered us like a warm blanket on a blustery night. We were blessed with a time of sharing and prayer that I will never forget. It was a divine appointment. I returned to my work, and she left with some insight, hope, and encouragement. 
But before I even got back to my desk, God wondrously revealed to me the miracle he was doing within me, within the miracle he was going to do within that family. He spoke to me so plainly. I can, I can almost hear it audibly. He said, I want to use you every day, but all you can think about is May. Yes, it was a rhyme. I want to use you every day, but all you can think about is May. Sometimes he has to get our attention, doesn't he? I had gotten so distracted by future miracles in ministry, where we were headed with Christ down the road after graduation, that I had lost sight of the miracle of Christ present in my daily life. So what should this passage, what should it give to us tonight? I think it should cause us to focus and redirect and rethink our faith. Jesus told Jairus only to believe, to have faith, and his daughter would be made well. Do you realize tonight that he can do far more for you than you could even dare ask him of? When the trials of our time here come, and they will, if you don't know that yet, know that, they will come. Can we look at our daily lives and truly see Christ, who has the power over even death? We may not experience the threat of physical death, but death comes in many forms. Our finances dry up. Relationships suffer. Stresses come that appear almost deadly. Discouragement hits hard. And if we aren't careful, if we aren't intentional, friends, our very relationship with God can be pushed aside for the knowledge that we gain of God in our studies. Do we trust him enough tonight to crawl to him in our imperfect and weak faith and believe that he knows our every need? Not only does he know, but he can make us whole. You know, even the apostles who walked intimately with him questioned him in disbelief. They were soon to be sent out to perform great miracles in his name, not unlike some of us. Yet in that moment, they did not have a clear vision of the miracle worker who was standing right there next to them. They were anticipating the miracle down the road, but Christ had a miracle for the moment. He has a miracle for you in this very time, in this very place. In my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers says, if we do not apply our belief in God to the practical issues of our lives, we run the risk of losing sight of the vision through spiritual leakage. My friends, if we are not careful, the distractions of our preparations in this place can result in spiritual leakage. We must be determined, as Chambers says, and moment by moment recall the heavenly vision, the vision of Christ in our very midst, and remember his call on our lives. God has called each of us here, each one of us, either to do his work as a staff or a faculty member, or as students to prepare for his work. He will equip and provide. He will complete what he started in each one of us. He will take care of what lies ahead, 
Leave that to him. Future ministry and miracles will come. But God is calling us to recognize his presence with us today. Will we, be, will we even be ready for the miracles and the ministry of tomorrow if we can't recognize them where we are today? He desires to use us now. He's currently performing miracles all around us. And unbelievable that he has invited us to participate with him in those miracles. The miracle among us, Jesus Christ, is seen through the eyes of our faith. Can you see him tonight? He is here. <laughs>